Welcome to the Mindful Surfer podcast with myself, Will Foster, and my co-host, Liam Morgan. What is the news, Liam Morgan? Well, we should have pressed record about 45 minutes ago because we've had a right old chat. Pretty much. We've covered everything. We do our way superior show, first edit, as in just chatting. Then we do this show. Really, we should be clicking from the very start as soon as we get into it. Just give it raw. And just go raw. Yeah, straight. We were going on to all sorts, which we will share anyway. We will. As the show progresses. But it was a lovely chat, dude. I love chatting with you. You're a great listener. You got half decent beard on you, which uh, comforts me a little bit. It's like you look like a therapist. Sort of, <laughs> sort of, just talk to me. Just, I'm listening. And actually, I have to say, you, sort of, your hair is coming up. You're looking, obviously, a little bit less hitler it's pulled back now, slicked back. But I have to say, in the sea, when we were surfing three days oh. ago, it looked like you had some curtains from M&S that had just been put just off the top of your forehead, right down your whole face. It's the least practical surfing haircut we, going. A hundred percent we were talking it, about that. Kelly got it, got it made. We just whip it off. I know. How many times have we said this? Is like the most practical surfing hair isn't the stereotypical long-haired vibe, because especially with my curly hair... It's so thick and dense when it's in front of my eyes. I took off on three waves as if I had a blindfold on. I couldn't see. <laughs> you know, we talk about it's about how it feels. Well, it yeah. had to be only about how yeah. it feels. And it was so sort of throwing, I couldn't even get my hands up to my eyes to wipe it out of the way. And to make matters even worse, we are dealing with hellish wind and rain where we live when we get waves. Yeah. And it's not easy to surf because it's choppy. So don't make it any harder of yourself. <laughs> Is the least practical surfing haircut going but like we've mentioned many many times ego has a role to play as does soul because soul says i just like my hair being a bit longer but then there is ego that says "Mm, but i'm a surfer and when i have this haircut i look like a surfer and there's definitely that in me i absolutely hand on heart have my hair a little bit long because i sort of unconsciously wear that label of you know i'm a surfer but the overriding of that is being aware of it there i am this crazy, silly, unconscious, silly self, allowing that to pass. And then I go, hmm, do I actually like this haircut? And yeah, I do. It's nice to have. So it's one of those ones. I think it's certainly got to be out there as the least practical surfing haircut going. But we have had waves, haven't we, dude? How have you been finding it? Well, as a regular listeners will know, but not Matt Biolos because he doesn't listen to the show anymore. He's fallen out with us. He's in the mental. He's having a great he hates time us. on the waves. He doesn't like the fact that we've portrayed him as the sort of, hey, you guys, you better not talk about me on the show next week. <laughs> it would really surprise me if Matt Barnes was appreciating that. But uh, do you know what? Actually, he's probably got an awesome sense of humour. He loves guys, it. I got friends in high places. Yeah. Better not talk about me on the show. Because um, <laughs> so he kind of looks a little bit like a New York gangster anyway. Like, you actually look, he's got that slight image of that. Well, like a James Gandolfini in, um, uh, what was it called? The Sopranos. Yes, what I mean. You're on point so in the, that you're voice, in a so way. you're interested in a few boards, are you, yeah. boys? Dude, now listen, you could make up so much stuff here because, you know, the backstory of the lost, you know, the, even that, just that word, lost, well, lost from what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and where did it all come from? Come on, Matt, spill the beans. And, you know, how many people have you murdered on your <laughs> path to being the world's greatest surfboard shaper, you know? Where are the bodies? Yeah. They're in the foam. Fucking damn dear. It's good, yeah. it's good. The waves, you were saying. Yes. How have you been finding it? So on this new board, 
thruster. I haven't really been on my journey of much of a surfer of thrusters on this board, but you recommend of thrusting, it, thrusting, and, <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's been really interesting to ride this thing rather than twinny or a sort of two plus one. And what I'm finding, having kind of messed around on a foamy for a lot of the time, I really got a little bit hooked on this foamy because it was just an easy ride and some of our mush burgers that we get and the outline of this lost puddle jumper almost sort of pulled in and made performancey the the foamy that i really sort of fell in love with what it gives me as an extra kicker as i'm sort of trying to progress my surfing is actually like a lovely feeling rather than how it looks of speed and maneuverability for the level that i'm at whatever you want to sort of tick on your box of this is what you're surfing at this is how you're surfing but I'm also noticing speed for the first time, like real speed. And for me, that's kind of connecting some of the dots, even on the, on the mushier waves that we surf, around how do you kind of pull back to the foam. And the board is very, very forgiving on that respect, isn't it? So it allows you on a very sort of sloppy wave to get back to the foam and go again. But it's also fast enough to get around the sections and whip off the top. And honestly, I love it. And we've surfed, what, the last three or four days and back to back. Yeah. Slightly different conditions. And yesterday being case in point, I think that's probably the fastest wave I've ever had in, in Sydney. I was paddling for it because I was on the end section of this yeah. basically bomb, at least a foot or two overhead and just perfectly shaped for our hometown. Like a real, you do get those gems. You yeah. do. They don't happen very often, but you do get them. I saw this floppy hair in the distance, these big M&S curtains coming down like this <laughs> as the sort of wind flapped into your curly hair. And you were coming down the line. So I was paddling for this wave and thinking, oh, no ways. Because there was a, I don't know, 20 foot foam section in the way of the section I yeah. was on of this right hander. And as I sort of started going, I went, no. I thought, fuck, he's actually going to make this because you did. You sort of must have hit a bit of a foam climb, yeah. come round the next section and then hit the next turn. That wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago. And despite my relentless shouting at you, go, 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 go. <laughs> when it's the wave to avoid actually now i just stay quiet because you're just on the wave but that's cool dude and the thing about surfing is one of the challenges of surfing we can all agree with is speed because let's say you're not surfing like six foot snapper let's just cancel out this idea that that's how surfing is it's not okay fair enough you might even live there but even even when you live there you talk to to gold coast locals and they'll tell you you get three months of a cyclone season and then remaining nine months of the year it's kind of like wind chop and shit and yeah like basically what we all deal with we're in the mush burger diner and we're ordering a double mush burger quarter pounder with extra large mush burger fries (laughs) everybody serves mush we just do and we all have our seasons and whatever we're just talking overall like what your average surf is kind of like worldwide and um the thing with those average waves is they lack their power, they lack shape, they lack, and therefore getting speed going is one of the most challenging bits. Now, if you can then get a board, and this is the right board, is obviously massive, but also the right technique to better engineer that speed, you can then start doing full roundhouse maneuvers, full top turn maneuvers on waves that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. And I think then when you're able to do all that kind of stuff, it's phenomenal training for then when you get on a clean face on a smaller board. Because when you've done all that training and that having to pump the rails, work it down the line, push around the corner, get that completion, use your body, twist, twist, twist. You suddenly find yourself on a good wave like I was the other day. I was in Cornwall, which anyone outside of of the UK will probably even know anyway if you're a surfer. I'm guessing if you're California, you've probably heard of... Yeah. And Oz and New Zealand, you've probably heard Probably. of Cornwall. It's anyway. a very marketable surf destination within the UK. Yeah, it? it is. And you get clear green water and it's just, it pumps and legit pumps yeah. on a world level. And you then find yourself on a wave like I was there the other day. It's like, take off, tow rail, heel rail, 
the wave is giving you speed now. And so surfing becomes a completely different challenge. The challenge then is more things like fear receptors. When you're taking off, it's obviously gnarlier. You're dealing with wipeouts. I got an, I got a horrendous wipeout. I got span around, round, round, round quite a few times. And I was getting to that bit like, fucking let me up, please. Let me up right now. <laughs> and then it did. It's that contrast between the two. The key insight for me is really keep working at the board and the technique on waves that you might otherwise think look shit. Because like we've said so many times, what is shit? It's just a labor. It's just an interpretation. And it's all practice in the bank, isn't it? Because, you know, joking about Mushburger Town, which we have, and you get those lovely days that work really well, is if you can put the practice in on those conditions, if you ignore the shitwave police, as we were saying back in episode 38, and if you kind of go in and just get what you're getting and enjoy it and try things out, it's all practice. And practice helps you progress and so on and so forth. And setting aside any uh, progression, because the last meme we put out was about, you know, why did you start surfing in the first place? Is that It's about how it feels as well. And actually, if you're getting the benefits of that cliched vitamin C, then you're already winning. Fucking damn straight. Yeah. I've also got to mention, we've had lots of surfs lately, haven't we? Yeah. Um, we're on a good little run. Is I've got to mention, I was in on my longboard again on a day that was easily puddleable. Now you were rocking it on the puddle, loving it. And I saw a couple of other lads on, on smaller boards, but I just decided to, to grab the longboard. And I normally always take two down. Now this was a real insight for me because I normally always take two down, shortboard, longboard, and have this thing where I'm like, ooh, 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 oh, this is actually, oh, this could be puddle. And I say that is that expression, this is puddleable. And then I also go, oh, fuck, I really need to get my longboard. And I do this thing where I'm not actually present with what the fuck is going on. <laughs> I'm such a hypocrite, the mindful surfer, my ass. And I sort of just stayed on this longboard, which I've had for years, actually. It cost me 60 quid 18 years ago, that thing. What a great purchase that was anyway. And I'm just noticing little little subtle cool things coming from this, being on a different piece of equipment. And one was, because I'm on a longboard, and because it's got like a, a foam top with a hard bottom, so it's sort of slightly softer, and maybe that softens me up. I don't know, but I, I hate party ways. And I was just like paddling for this one way. It was like quite a nice little air. And my mate, as you know, Ollie, was just sort of in the inside and clearly in the wrong spot, massively dropping in on me, like we all do to each other. <laughs> and... I went, yeah, go on. I was like, what am I? Fuck, am I becoming nice? Am I getting nicer? This is really strange. If I'd been on my shortboard, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, longboard vibes. And it's longboard vibes. I think also being on a shortboard, you don't want to fuck the board. I mean, if you put a hole in that thing, it's 700 quid and it's like, oh, fuck. So there's that. I think, and I think that's probably the main thing. If I'm on my shorter board and someone else is there, I just, I loathe this idea of smashing each other's boards. I'll never forget when I, I think I, yeah, I blatantly did drop in on my brother. And I just chewed him a giant old gap hole in his board. And he'd only had it like three or four Ouch. surfs or whatever. And from then I went, whoa, no, 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 no. Party waves was, was shortboard. That just not do it. But no, it's just overall, the longboard has really opened my eyes to the main insight really being be open to new things in life in general. Well, it's a great example of setting your mind to be happy with what you're on and making the most of what you've got. And actually, the deep side of that is if you can make the most of a battered 60 quid longboard and squeeze stoke and joy and progression and all that out of it, then that's a great lesson for life. <laughs> Joking aside, sorry, Matt, Balos, we don't need a 750 quid puddle jumper, which is the top end. I didn't, mine wasn't that much money. But the, uh, the carbon wrap is, carbon is, wrap is, is pretty decent, yeah. Yeah, but being a Yorkshireman, I don't, I'm not bloody buying a carbon wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't buying that carbon wrap. It's fucking so expensive, like. <laughs> 
Has it got um, an engine? Is he living it? <laughs> to be honest, it does feel like it's got yeah. an engine at times. Dude, love that. Yeah. Love that. Segment number two, the mindful surfer, just a couple of moments to uh, raise the awareness of your breathing and your mind so that you can feel present, basically. Take a deep breath in through your nose. And breathe out. And breath in. And breath out. And breath in. And breathe out. To see what you can see right now, pay close attention to what is in front of you, the colours, the shapes, textures. And just remain really focused on all those little nuances that you can see. And now just bring your focus back to your breathing. So just really focus on the breath as it comes in. And the breath as it goes out. And on this last breath, we're just going to do that calming one that we do and it's the one that I want you to practice in situations that you find yourself where you might be a bit uncomfortable a bit afraid or whatever in between is just practice this breath technique where you hold your breath at the top and then you breathe out slowly so take a last breath in through your nose just hold your breath and breathe out as slowly as you can Great work, guys. One thing I wanted to mention, this is things we were talking about before today's show, was around mindfulness. We do talk about mindfulness after our moment of mindfulness each week because there's so many insights around it and how it relates to surfing and life and all these things. The question becomes, is meditation important? Is it important for wellness? Um, yes, is your sort of blanket answer. But sort of then you go into like, well, why? You know, and Do you need to? That's the other word. Do you actually need to do meditation for wellness? And here's the thing. The analogy I've used before, that's one I really want to keep in mind, is this thing of, imagine going to the gym and you do machine weights. So you sit in the bench press and it has this seat and you hold the handles and it comes off a lever and you push the lever and, and all that good stuff. Now, it's safer. It's assisted. So you can adjust the resistance as you as you so wish. It gives you a good workout and you leave feeling like you've had exercise. It increases bone density, ups your muscle mass, dot, 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 insert what you will. You are, however, missing out on the stabilization aspects of free weights, of doing things just totally with your body weight, which encompasses more body awareness. You've got to use more proprioceptors, they're called. So these little neuroreceptors within the muscle that are connected to the brain that allow for superior uh, stability development, essentially. The same is true of mindfulness. And meditation, there are a number of things. And this fucking show is about surfing, which is a mindful activity. It's an activity that brings you into nature. It brings up your focus. It helps you connect to your body. It's If that's not mindfulness, I don't know what it is. The thing with it is its assistance. It's the machine. So you're doing the surf, you're getting the workout. You are activating the chest in the chest press. So when you're in the ocean, you are getting mindfulness. You are getting the benefit of it. The thing that's always missing from someone's life, I believe, now this is just totally my belief, and please, on this, as you're listening to this, disagree with me entirely, which is the whole point of being authentic. But my authentic belief is, through just my own experience mainly, but also through the amount of years I've been involved in teaching people meditation as well as reading about it, 
is when you go into a disciplined daily practice of meditation, unassisted with guided meditation or unassisted with music or anything, but you just do the Zen practice of sitting and being with your breath and your mind, is you take away all the things that help bring you into mindfulness, bring you into focus, and you have to do it yourself. And what that does in my experience, is lead to a greater awareness overall, mainly of your ego. And therefore, if you can do that, a less fearful life. Because ultimately, if you black and white it, the less and less your ego dictates your life, the less and less fear you feel, less and less stress you feel, because your soul takes over, your heart takes over more and more, and the more, therefore, more peace, happiness, health, and love you feel. So it's really simple stuff. It's like ego keeps us involved in things like jobs we don't want to be doing, but we feel like we should be doing. It cares greatly about things like appearance when no one actually really cares. And it makes us do silly things like go on crazy over-exercising situations or eating diets that make us feel terrible because the packet says so and all kinds of bits and bobs. And that's just a couple of examples how ego can keep it. Another classic one of ego, the relationship that isn't right for someone, but again, fear says, no, well, what will people think if I divorce or break up with this person? I mean, ego goes everywhere, doesn't it? So if you cultivate a practice of no stabilization assistance, but pure where you are just with your ego. There could be, I believe, nothing better for the ego because you're growing in so much awareness of it. When it then crops up in that situation when you need to listen to your heart and not your head, you're able to spot its illusionary nature much quicker, I believe, than otherwise and go to heart sooner. And it's not also to say that you have to and need to meditate. We said this before the show. I feel like I need to in so many ways because I'm so fucked up. (laughs) So that's the truth of the matter. There are a lot, a lot of people who maybe don't have such a strong pain body and such an active mind and they'd be able to go, well, I'm kind of all right. I don't meditate. And you go, actually, do you know what? Yeah, because I don't even know, do I? I can't know how someone feels. You can only know yourself. You can only know how you are. I think this is why surfing is in continuation of last week's show, this ultimate cheat code. It's like platinum cheat code into a sense of here and now mindfulness. And it's because the ocean is a place, I think, to an extent that removes the distraction of the world that we live in, particularly now, because there is so much clutter in the world, so many distractions, so many things for the ego to hold on to or to reject or to other. And that's kind of something I'll connect with surfing as well, this othering that the ego likes to do. It's me, that I'm unique, and these other people over there are X, Y, and Z. Whether it's blowing tourists who are surfing a beach, whether it's kooks, whatever you want to label them, it likes the otherness. But from a pure kind of cheat code into that moment of here and now mindfulness, it's because it removes almost entirely, especially if we can keep technology out of the water, the distractions that we encounter on a day-to-day basis in this sort of modern world in which we live. That is something that if you can then learn to remove those distractions when they are ever present so you can recreate that environment that allows you to access that mindful moment outside of the ocean. I think that's where we, we started talking about this way back in the few, first few episodes. How do you take that back out onto, let's say, dry land, the real world, the unreal world, whatever you want to call it, and keep that going? It's one of those ones where we joked about this, but imagine having an Apple Watch, and people do do this, there's no doubt about it, and checking email. in the ocean it's happening yeah i guarantee you right now it is happening a surfer somewhere is checking email and he's what's really interesting with this i never forget a seth godin now seth godin's someone we love here an absolute guru dare he would call himself that at all he would just he's a normal dude like we all are but seth godin's guy worth checking out and just in terms of just creativity and being vulnerable and courage and just asking questions asking questions having one life and seth talked about this one story where 
he was up at uh, about one in the morning doing email in this place in Bali when someone else was having like, quote unquote, a great time. And they were having drinks and whatnot. And they went over to Seth, didn't know who he was, what he's up to, but just sort of said, oh, put the laptop away. You're, you're on holiday. Have a good time. And the insight that Seth ends up saying is rather than have a life and a job where you have to vacate in order to actually be in a state of peace, create a life and a job that means you never have to. It goes back to this thing about the email, of because we can all picture there's this human in the world somewhere who has and will respond to email in the fucking ocean. And the mad thing is, as surfers, as being this kind of woke spiritual crowd we can be sometimes, would see that and go, God, that's just, that's not, and have no idea just how much joy that might, person might be having while they're actually answering the fucking email. Now, let's be honest, it's unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Matt Bialos, here I am, yeah. sat on the Mushburger yeah, point of the world. Good. That's good. Uh, I just want to let you know how cool your uh, board is. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Matt, I'm actually physically just about to go in the tube. Yeah. Just hear me out. I'm just entering it now. Oh, the rail feels a little bit shit, Matt. <laughs> the rail's sliding out, dude. Oh, oh, Matt, Matt, I'm about to die. <laughs> what? No. Click send. Just quickly click send. It's just getting fucking annihilated upside down. Hey, guys, these fellas won't leave me alone. Yeah. They're in the ocean and they're still emailing. <laughs> He's so, I swear, Mafia. Yeah. Yeah. Through and through, we've, man. We've really screwed see, it now. See, we're never getting sponsored by Lost, ever. No. Yeah, and that's the best case scenario. Because I've even said to one of my buddies, I've already guaranteed him, you know, a couple of boards based off the back of my, this random idea that we're going to get sponsored by Lost Boards, but that ain't going to happen now. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Segment number three, Mind Body Stoke. Things Liam and I have been doing with the minds and bodies of ourselves to raise the stoke. And I've been wanting to mention this last week, but actually it's a better week to mention it this week, is what I'm doing dietarily, if that is a word. Is that a word? If it isn't, it is now. Hey, what's a word if it's just a way of communicating? Anyway, and my insight, and take this as you will, you might hear what I'm about to say today and be like, Will is a freak. What an absolute weirdo. And that is the strangest thing I've ever heard, and I would never do that. So just hear me out. Remove as much self-doctrine and judgment as you like, Please do so as you hear what I'm about to say. I did what's called the carnival diet, which is actually a very unfortunate way of describing it because it's just a zero-carb diet because there's far more to it than this kind of idea of T-bone fucking steaks and all that jazz. I did the carnival diet, zero-carb diet, as an experiment a year and a half ago when I had pretty major, consistent, everyday inflammation of my knee which you'd call sort of pseudoarthritis, arthritis, blah, blah, blah. I, I injured it a number, a number of years ago. I also have autoimmunity, which for those of you who don't know, is a sort of my body sort of attacks itself regarding certain food items that I may or may not eat. And I don't respond well to stress and various things. Anyway, I have psoriasis. So there I have an implication of inflammation that is somewhat greater than your average in the population. That's also for people like, you know, with arthritis is one, um, asthma, uh, eczema, psoriasis. There are a number of them. They're considered normal now to have but of course yikes they aren't normal because our natural state is to be well isn't it to be really well i went on this change and went for this drastic change because i'd read so much from people like sean baker paul saladino paul check uh, even led hamilton has talked about it and there's a number of others that i could talk about chris cresser about the purported benefits of how it can help reduce inflammation quite drastically i think it was day two 
even literally day two. I'd been hobbling for three months, really, if I'm honest, and struggling, struggling to even go on longer walks. And midway through day two, I'm almost jogging about. Day five, where's this gone? Where the fuck has this inflammation gone? Some people might say to me, well, the reason why that has happened is because of your mind-to-body connection, as in you believed that it would work based on the people you trust. And I would agree. I would be someone who would be the, f- I'd be the first of the queue. Because I do agree. If someone else on the other side of the street says, I believe a vegan diet is going to heal my knee, well, guess what? It probably will. How does it work in respect of impact on body of removing those carbohydrates from the inflammation? It's actually not just carbohydrate. When you remove plants, you remove something called an anti-nutrient from each plant. The basic premise is animals can run away. So animals have an inbuilt defense mechanism called running away or fighting, okay? Plants don't have that. So plants have to have evolved to build that within, to fend off insects and humans and animals and, and whatever else. And these are things like phytates, phytic acid found in nuts and legumes. It's things like oxalates found in things like uh, spinach. It's really huge. Turmeric has massive amounts of oxalates. There's things like glutens. There's things like casein. Casein's another one found in dairy. There are a number of, of what we call anti-nutrients that are found in plant foods that can bind and do bind to iron, magnesium, zinc, copper, uh, calcium, etc., etc., that prevent those really essential minerals making their way into the body. And that's into the joints, the brain, the skin, wherever that inflammation is being affected. So people's, whether it's brain, skin, joints, mood, whatever it might be, all is so individual where that inflammation becomes affected. But for me, it's things like brain and definitely joints. Now I've gone back onto this carnival regime because it was about probably consistently two to three months of a niggling knee. That essentially, when I look back in hindsight now, because hindsight's a wonderful thing, look back in hindsight now, was always there in my surfs, chipping away, niggling away, reducing the enjoyment I was having for the surf. It was like my mind was trying to do this top turn and this snap and this thing, but the knee was just still there, still there. I had another, I had a surf whenever it was two and a half weeks ago. It didn't surf to my greatest ability. I didn't have the greatest amount of joy either. I was again, hobbling slightly at the beach and I just had that moment again. I was like, right, I'm doing this. I'm getting back on this. Now, this phase I'm on is the longest I've ever done the zero carb technique. My knee is at zero, total zero. My brain feels unbelievably fresh. I've dropped six kilos and I'm not even that heavy. The last two surfs in particular I've had have honestly been me at my absolute best ability. When I can drive off the lip and rebalance into the next bowl section with my highest performance is for me being the last two surfs of not very good waves either really or good, whatever good is, but you know what I mean? Not high performance, so we say. The insight really for me is if you have something going on that is affecting your surfing, if you keep doing the same thing dietarily or with your training or with your lifestyle or anything between your boards or whatever, if you keep doing the same thing, you cannot expect a different result. Have those moments to yourself. Explore what's out there. I am not here now saying on this podcast that this is the right diet for everybody. I am having to do a number of weird little hacks to make this work. Well, I was going to ask about digestion because I don't really eat meat (laughs) as we do. And guess what? You can have these conversations. It's really interesting you mentioned this because we'll leave this in the show notes. There's this thing, uh, this um, convention that's held. Australia are huge on keto. Mm. They have a keto convention, as in ketogenic diet, low-carb diet. And there was a scientist there who I watched on this video yesterday. He was revealing this graph with this experiment they'd done. And this is the growing trend of the carnivore. It's becoming huge. It's, it's exploding at the moment because it's confounding the myth, the huge myth that there is of fiber. 
what he has in this, these graphs is profound seeing this. There's the same patients. These are the exact same people taken from a cross-section of society who are dealing with constipation, diarrhea, and something else in between. So IBS. They do 10 weeks of each. They do 10 weeks, 10 weeks, 10 weeks. It is 30 weeks monitored. The first 10 weeks was of high insoluble and soluble fiber intake. So the amount that's recommended, the RDA of, of fiber. And then they monitored the actual stool release, that how often they pooed as a result. So it was six, every 6.2 days, they would go to the loo on this diet. Then they put them on the next 10 weeks, which was on exactly half the amount of fiber and see how often they would poo. And it was every 4.2 days. The final group was no fiber whatsoever. And they pooed every morning. It's an absolutely profound noise that gets generated by the audience when they hear it. The audience almost, it's like a gasp of, wow. And th that, by the way, is one study of about a thousand studies at the moment that are out there that aren't known because it doesn't get pressed forward because there's so many different factors involved as to why these things don't get found out. But regardless, this thing is growing and it's going to keep on growing because there are so many anecdotal stories now as well as scientific stories of people healing their body, the implication comes in of things like moral, of ethics, of belief, of values, of right and wrong, of all these factors involved in the nuance of it. And it's why whenever it comes to nutritional decisions or decisions in general, but in particular nutrition, which is so personal, only you can know for yourself what's going on. And that is all there is to it. Because dare I sit here and start telling all surfaces to just eat meat? And eggs and oysters. And this is basically what I eat. It's oysters. Oh, I do like an oyster. Oyster. I just had an oyster omelet. Yeah. It's oysters, eggs, shellfish, fish, ideally wild caught, these things. Grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Because so, if you have grain-fed, it's going to be like a completely different animal. It's going to be the welfare of the animal as well as quality of the nutrition. I mean, you hear people like Aubrey Marcus talk this all the time and Joe Rogan, and they bang on about the DHA is the, is the meager ratio in quality, quality red meat. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable health food. And there's a phenomenal book at the moment called Sacred Cow that's really worth checking out. We'll leave in the show notes, which isn't a book saying you must eat red meat and all vegans are evil. And it's not that. But what they're doing is they're bringing a nice counter argument to this just eat plants. And they're saying not only is red meat incredibly healthful if you get it from the right sources, but also it can be carbon negative. It can actually, if you do crop rotation, if you have these cows eat from field to field naturally how they're supposed to, you can have a number of them be feeding on this natural thing they're supposed to eat. But not only that, because they shit on the grass and then move on to the next field, that grass becomes nourished by that, that yeah. cow shit and actually pulls carbon from the atmosphere. You end up with these what are called carbon negative farms. Mm. So it becomes it's a really interesting book. Like everything, there's nuance, isn't there? Of course. You know, and, and for me, mine was more about welfare and kind of like on a spiritual level, the mm -hmm. kind of welfare of animals. But there is no question that there are the things you get from well brought up meat. We live, we live in a farming community, really. Livestock versus farmed, and that carries for fish, actually carries for vegetables because the nutrient density of the soil is over time absolutely obliterated by fertilizers and chemicals and pesticides and all of this stuff. There isn't a, all this is bad and all this is good. And that's where we sometimes lose the nuance of any argument. And there will be lobby groups that are on either side of the argument, some for you know, the meat and livestock commissions that are out there that want to promote meat uh, eating, and there are others that are out there that are all about not eating anything at all that has anything to do with uh, meat. Yeah, I think it's also looking at where the source of your education comes from, if you're kind of pro, against, for, whatever. And always do that. Do your own, and instinctually you'll know what's right. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's why it's so important to cultivate that practice of yeah. what does your intuition say? Yeah. Because if you get all head led and it's all like this belief, that belief, and no, that's wrong, that shit, it can really confuse what the body's wanting to get you to do. Because um, it's because for me, doing this is even extreme for me. Yes. Because I know people, if they hear this, if they hear this, I think, I I think we've got a couple of listeners, have we? <laughs> will judge the shit out of me. That's the reality. Ego as well wants to have an opinion on things, doesn't it? Because it attaches to a certain narrative based on what you think. Is that going to make me feel better, be superior, other, other this person? And here we are able to have a conversation about this kind of thing in the studio when we have probably come at this from different sides of the argument. Almost. Completely. And that's the importance of being able to change your mind or listen to reason debate on another side of a, another argument is what makes the world a harmonious place and a much better place than saying, no. Dude, I'm not listening. Dude, if we were all the same, it would, we'd be gone. We may as well just end it. Just wrap it in a seal, tie a ribbon on it, you know, right on the box, humans are done. Yeah. Throw that down the black hole of the universe because it, it would be if we were all the same. It, yeah. It's just so nice. And it's a, like you said, it's harmonious when you look, keep learning from each other in all these ways. And I will go back to plant food. I will go back to grains and I will come back. There's no doubt. I love them way too much um, and get a lot of nourishment from them when my body says so. But I'm at the moment just... I'm just listening to my body and, and I want to encourage listeners out there that if you're dealing with an injury that is consistently, you know, arthritic in nature, inflammatory based, it's not just a recent tweaked hamstring or something, you know, it's a chronic, it's persistent, that please, please just look into things like the carnivore code. I've just read that book by Paul Saladino, who's an incredibly eloquent bloke who uh, is really well educated and has lots and lots of very healthy debates with vegan authors, vegetarian authors, which I think it, it says a lot about the guy he is. And when he does so, he even hears out what they're saying and et cetera. So just keep a nuanced view. Keep, yeah. a, keep a light view. That's the key always, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and read stuff for yourself. Yeah. And in detail. That's it. Yeah. Clue up on what you want to yeah. know about. Yeah. Don't, don't educate yourself through Twitter, for that, example. Fucking damn straight. And educate yourself through people who are hating on something. Because that's the big... Do you know what? That is the biggest red flag of any time you ever listen to someone. If you ever listen or read from someone who's proposing some kind of methodology. I think it's like the stinkiest fart that's surely going up those nostrils of yours of I should hesitate on this person is when there's hatred for something else. If there's hatred and anger for something else, you know the vibe is off. If the vibe is like Paul Saladino, no. Look, vegan communities, people are thriving. It's fantastic. Do I think that all vegans should be... Well, listen, there might be a few that might benefit from what I'm doing, but I'm not now saying blanket statement. That's a load of shy at all. I'm just coming from peace. I just know what I'm knowing from my standpoint. And when you get that kind of person and their vibe is right, you know you're going to learn some great stuff. Well, that's where you get diversity of thinking and of thought. And you can therefore talk about anything in peaceful environments. Yes, yes. Without judgment. That's it. And without overreaction. Dude, hit me. What Not literally, because <laughs> you did actually our boxing session the other day. And still, fuck me, you've, you've, knuckles are still recovering. Still bleeding. Liam, I told him to get, oh, mate, get stuck into the pads. Go, go. Without any gloves on. <laughs> and then, you know, five minutes later, you fucking... <laughs> Can't help me, sir. You had, I'm proper northern, lad. I was getting stuck in. Fucking give me some more blood. Go on, lad. <laughs> I'll show you a punch bag. Matt Barlis is going to want to punch you anyway, so you're going to have to get ready for that. Yeah. Anything you want to share? The sort of mind-body connection there is really important. I'm sort of doing different bits of swim training, surfing, trying to keep fit as you get older. Do it. We're training every week, as just referenced on the back. And it's starting to think about putting some structure alongside that so that you don't overdo the things that then prevent you doing the thing that you love, which is surfing. And uh, regular listeners will know I'm terrible for it because I sort of sporadically go into different things, go at it hell for leather. And then you're thinking, actually, I've now worn out. <laughs> 
I can't now do the thing. So really for me, it's about reducing the doing sometimes, going back to human being, sitting and instinctively taking care of what I need to take care of. And we were just talking about this before the show is that there are times when it is the right thing to do is to not go surfing. The few moments when we had that sort of hiatus in between, there's a few very gnarly days where, you know, it's 50 mile an hour winds and the waves were kind of all over the place. I'd done so much and I'd done so much in the gym with you, Will, and so much in the kind of um, swim training around that, that I just decided instead of going for it, as I usually would have done, I was just going to sit it out and let everybody else go in and have a break. And in doing that, that then the surf the next day, when it's cleared up and it's better and it's, you know, your body's recovered, is so much more rewarding and so much more kind of balanced than almost forcing yourself to do something that's against your uh, better instincts. And so I think that for me is the biggest takeout in the last couple of weeks is to only do the things when you feel that they're the right thing to do. And that's not to sort of say, you know, you back out of things, but it's more about when it instinctively feels that it's not right. And I think we probably touched on this last week. The times when you've played a sport or done something when you know that instinct is hanging heavily over you. For me, have always been the times when I've injured myself the most. Even if it was throwing myself down a, a slope of snow on a bin bag one night thinking, yeah, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> it's oh, fucking nuts how alcohol. Alcohol and youth. Plays such a role in that just irrational, what the hell was I doing there? Yeah. I like jumping been, off that. I could have been somebody. Oh, dude. If honestly, it not been for that injury. If it not been for that. No, I totally agree. I think managing your training as a surf is a challenge. I think it's... um. A beautiful one because it teaches you about your body and that's going to ultimately aid you in all facets. But it's that thing where because it's so unstructured. Yeah. If surfing turned up on a Tuesday afternoon, a Friday night and a Sunday morning, like what you just, <laughs> you could just, oh, okay, do you know what? I'll do, I'll do legs on Thursday mornings yeah. and then I'll do my little bit of cardio on, you know, and you'd stretch here and you'd, it would be so much simpler. But the whole reason, the whole reason why we love it so much is because it's spontaneous. Absolutely. That's why we love it. The other thing I'm just going to keep going at as well, and this is a hack for me that's really working well. And anybody that's, wherever you are, every age you're starting surfing and you start to kind of go through the progression curve, if you like, of trying to improve on various things. And, you know, I watch Ombi and I love their progression and I love the kind of coaching that they give. But one of the biggest things I've tried to do for myself is this, right from the beginning, is ride out the high and low better. One of the biggest improvements in my own enjoyment of surfing, going back to, you know, why did we start in the first place, is like enjoying the good stuff that when it comes, but also relaxing during the hard stuff. And whether that's accepting your own fears be more relaxed on paddle outs. And I can feel the gains that are coming from that every time because I'm not as low as I used to be when it mm. didn't go as bad and neither am I as kind of high when it's going well. It's just, it just is. And that's the mindful hack, isn't it? To say, I'm now just in and I'm surfing. And there is no good or bad surfing almost, you know, in that world, it just is. So true, dude. We all come from our different experiences and those experiences have enabled us to build up a certain level of wisdom within a different area. For me, I think I've been there so many times in surfing that it's become second nature, that thing you're talking about. But, and we discussed this many times, you refer to Saunton, which is a break we both love, um, as your nets. It's your thing that it gets you in the flow because it's mellow and it's just shouldery and you, and you do turn after turn after turn. It's never going to barrel. It's never going to smack you hard in the face either, really. Although it can occasionally. Yeah. 
And I am getting that with cricket. And when I don't do well, I don't ride it well. And when I do well, I don't ride that well. But I'm growing a little bit in that way. So I can totally empathize with it because when I've not done well in cricket, when I've gone out for a duck or whatever, uh, which by the way, to anyone listening to this who has no idea what I'm talking about, cricket is a sport I'm sure you're aware of. And you get out for a duck, it's no runs, zero runs. You didn't do well, put it that way. If that still makes no sense, no runs. Imagine me just not doing well. Yeah. <laughs> with lots of others. Well, it's like you get no waves. There you go. Session. With lots of other humans around who can look with at you. lots of people watching. Exactly. Lots of other people who are actually watching. So it kind of heightens it even more. But like what I'm getting at is I can totally empathize. And then just with time, more and more and more wipeouts, more and more wipeouts, more and more wipeouts. You start to wear it but better and better, better. And it's the same for me. Like I've got, I've got buddies of mine who play cricket who, when I've found it, like fuck's sake and now i've got the whole day ahead and got no more action left that's your day done in a way like in terms of my contribution is having friends be like look man i've had fucking and this is quality batsmen saying that i've had 50 duck i've had ton of two run innings like you go to hit it and it just suddenly suddenly catches it and you just like why did i do that shot and you just build up that experience don't you yeah and you're doing it and i can tell you're doing it big time it's surely and i know it is going to lead to great things it's keeping in mind that quote that we've said before, which is the best way of your life is on its way. It is. Yet to come. Surf media is our final segment. I just want to share something. It's not to be surfing, but it's really, really relevant to, well, men in particular, but all mental wellness, spiritual wellness, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it. Kyle Sinclair, who is a rugby player, was very, very honest and vulnerable live on TV. And that takes balls. It takes more balls to do that than to go running into uh, another 20-stone human and clattering them by the ankles or go taking off on a 100-foot wave. We all know that being emotion vulnerable is way more terrifying. It's way more scary because you, you are really revealing your, yourself and it's not easy. But when you do do it, you feel better for it. And he, um, we can leave the clip in the show notes, but he, he is worth watching because he's a big burly bloke yeah. who really, um, he's a tough nut. really opens up about what it feels like to be rejected because he got rejected from this, this team yeah. that he wanted to be in which to many of you know who follow rugby, it's called the Lions. Yeah. And it's just really worth watching because it's just a stunning, beautiful human moment, which you don't see very often in sport. And surfers, bless them, I love them, but I don't see deep vulnerable moments very often on camera. I know Kelly has done. He's a very unique character, Kelly. He not only is the greatest of all time, but I think he's the greatest of all time in interviews as well. Like he's actually, he's a yeah. very deep character. You've got a tallow though, Ferreira jumping up and down on his board after he gets eliminated. That was a I didn't shit. see that. Yeah, really happy. You know. Shit, uh, did he? I'll put that in the show notes as well. No, I want to see it. So, so this is on the recent... It was in the... the I think it was in Margaret the Newcastle one. Yeah. Um, Whoa. And he really doesn't respond. And it's just an instinct. And, yeah. and actually that human response, we are humans. And yeah. for all of the media training and that, oh, I've got to behave like this, sometimes to let it out. But particularly, like you say, well, it is a brave thing to do as of you know we're getting better at that that vulnerability it doesn't mean you can go around crying all day but during what is mental health week and i think it's a global thing but certainly it's in the uk this week it's good to see people like carl sinclair who looks like he could run through a brick wall and mm -hmm. still kind mm -hmm. of you know do it again hundred <laughs> percent hundred percent to let out so i'll have to check that out as well yeah it's really cool. Anything you want on media to do? No, I haven't watched any surf media actually in the last week. I've been very, very busy at work. But one thing I am working my way through, and if you want your mind blowing to listen to a very intelligent kind of but very far out guy, Jamie Wheel, talking to Aubrey mm. Marcus on this four hour podcast about these rapture ideologies. 
and about how there's all sorts of things kind of coming together in different parts of the world and the way he sort of knits this stuff together and articulates it and what it is is actually the reason it's four hours I think it turns into just two guys talking about things that they're both very interested in in a very very overarching very deep way so a lay person like me to articulate that in two minutes is, is very difficult it's a very interesting kind of bringing together of a lot of the themes that are happening in the world and just gives you very big food for thought mm. um, around, you know, mindfulness, manipulation, different things that are happening, Beautiful. different ideologies. But two smart it, guys it, having a very, very deep chat. Reminds me of something, actually. I can't think what. Oh. <laughs> but no, it's, it's worth checking out. I mean, we talk about Aubrey Marks a lot, but some of his guests are off the charts. Yeah, Aubrey's genuine, yep. mindful, yep. funny, down-to-earth dude. And can I just also say to anyone listening to this who's getting to the end of our show, who still has lots of driving left to do to get to the waves, yes. let's say, yeah. or you're doing your washing up or whatever. So if they want to quickly click on Aubrey the Marcus or, the podcast. Or, the Aubrey Marcus podcast. And the guy is... Jamie Wheel. There you go. And you can just carry on your listening. Yeah. But go on, do you. We're going to go on. Uh, the other one that I'll probably come back to next week is just earlier on, very quickly, Joe Dispenza, who is a show favourite, talking about how telomeres and longevity. And the question was, can you live forever? And he was referencing lobsters and mind-body connections. We'll come back to that next week. But that was yeah, fascinating. Yeah, cool. Very nice. Love a bit of Joe. Yeah. Cheers, guys. See you next week.